Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideau, joined as always by the great Teddy Atlas, coming to you with another quarantine edition of the fight. Um, Teddy, I wanted to talk to you today about uh, um, the five greatest heavyweights of all time, uh, uh, a topic that's constantly debated, but uh, one that I've received a ton of questions for on social media. So without further ado, I'd love to turn it over to you and hear your opinion on the five greatest heavyweights of all time. Well, there's going to be plenty of debating this. Should be fun, I hope. Hope it doesn't become ugly. You know, <laughs> people take these opinions very seriously. Uh, I hope that they don't get too, you know, crazy about it. But it's a subjective thing. And when you have subjective things that are subjective by nature, you have all kinds of opinions all over the lot. And, of course, it is only my opinion. Based on, I want to believe and do believe enough knowledge to have an opinion, Uh, which is a second thing that makes it more difficult for such things. One is the subjectiveness of it, but the other is with a subject like this, a sport that goes back so far, you know, back to the 1800s and before, depending on where you trace the origins of it. I mean, there's not a lot of people that have information and knowledge about the fighters of that era. I mean, it goes back further than baseball does with the history of it. So I've never seen a guy 200 years old. I mean, have you? I I haven't (laughs) met one yet. So... Being that we are devoid of guys 200 years old, I think for the most part, until we find one, it's it adds to the difficulty and to the arguments that will ensue after my list comes out. Because, again, there's just a lot of people that don't have the ability to have the information, you know, through stories, through film, through whatever availability it is, don't have the information of the fighters from those eras. So they can't include them. They can't appreciate them the way that they deserve to be appreciated. That's the one thing that bothers me about it. I'm, I'm envious about the sport, about baseball. Because baseball, basketball, football, of course, they don't have the history. Baseball does. It's got a long history. But there's so much more known, so many more people that put out the information so people can know some of those old plays. And and there should be even more known about Jackie Robinson and plays even before. There should be even more, even more known about them. But at least there are places where you can get that information, outlets that make that information more available. Boxing doesn't have it. Boxing really doesn't have those outlets those mechanisms got a few historians good ones here and there guys that know and appreciate the old times like russell pelts and and michael silva and you know a few other guys goldman and uh, there's a few historians out there that appreciate it but on the whole there's not enough that's there for the young fans to know about these great fighters these extraordinary people, you know, and that's too bad. Maybe this helps a little bit talking about 
having shows like this every once in a while to make people aware of some of these fighters uh, that they weren't aware of. So having said that, I take it serious. I take it like a responsibility. Like I'm hopefully making somebody aware, teaching, making someone aware of something and why they should be aware of something. They don't have to agree with me, but at least hear the reasons of why these fighters, to me, are great. Not not only the guys in the era that you're familiar with, but in an era, again, that you may not be familiar with. And listen, it's not about size. You know that old saying, Ken? It's not about the size of the man in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the man. Uh, that's what boxing's about, too. You know, it's not about, of course, the earlier years, the earlier generation, the earlier eras, the 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 men were smaller. They've gotten athletes have gotten bigger. The the NFL players at the beginning of the NFL's history were smaller. I mean, incredibly smaller. Now they're much, much bigger. But still, the talents, the skill levels that made them special, still can be properly understood, explored, uh, properly appreciated you know, compared. It's, it's not the size, it's the talent, the mentality, uh, the experience they had, the ability to use that experience. So, I'm going to go with number one. I'm going to start right out of the shoot. Greatest heavyweight of all time. Of all time! Not the guy... Who used to say that? Not the guy that I might have misled you to thinking by just saying that. It's going to be Joe Lewis, the Brown Bomber, and his great trainer, Jack Blackburn. He, They were a great partnership. He was a great fighter, too. He didn't get his credit for it because he was around at a time when this country didn't treat black men, people properly. Yeah. But... Blackburn was a special guy. He was a black fighter that fought everybody. He didn't get a chance to fight a lot of fighters because he was black. Uh, didn't get a chance to fight a lot of white fighters that were up there. But he took his, after he retired as a fighter, he took his skills and what a trainer. What a special guy. He had as much, if not more, to do with the success of Joe Lewis than probably most trainers in this business. Some of them have more impact and effect on their pupil, on their protege, than others. Uh, Blackburn had a lot. Had a lot of impact on shoulders. He taught him to always be balanced. He was one of the most balanced fighters I ever saw, Ken. Always in position with his footwork. It wasn't an accident. Never out of position. And he was a great puncher with either hand. And he didn't waste anything. There was no space in between his punches. They were short, concise, explosive. And he was the greatest finisher maybe of all time in the heavyweight division. Not maybe, he was. He got you hurt, he got rid of you. He got you out of there. You didn't get a second chance. He was, his punches were in combination. They were short, body, head, powerful. He was calm, his demeanor, real calm all the time. 
Boy, oh boy. He corrected the mistakes along the way with Blackburn when he needed to. He lost to Schmeling on his way out up, and he got knocked out. And then after he won the title, he fought a rematch with Schmeling probably a couple years later, and he corrected the mistake. Schmeling had noticed that he was vulnerable to right hands, that sometimes Lewis laid his head on the right side after he jabbed in a pad to the right hand, and you could count him with the right hand. Schmeling was a real, Schmeling was a great fighter, and he was a real good puncher, accurate puncher, and he took advantage of that. The great famous saying from that fight, Again, before the fight, where Schmeling, a German fighter, said, I see something. I see something, which I think I can obviously exploit. And he did see something. He saw what I just described, an opportunity to land a right hand against the undefeated Lewis. And like I said, Lewis corrected that. Blackburn corrected that. And after he won the title, he fought the rematch, and boy, oh boy, did he make up for that loss with the whole world watching. You talk about pressure. That's why Lewis is the greatest. You talk about pressure? You talk about pressure? You talking about pressure here? That, to me, is one of the best stories of a heavyweight fight, just uh during World War Two, U.S. against uh, Germany, a black guy against a white guy. It was like you couldn't draw more divisive lines at those times. World War Two, on the verge of World War Two, with Hitler, a madman, trying to create a master race, take over the world. And you got Joe Lewis fighting somebody who's... Lewis has... Who has... Uh, Hitler has propped up as, you know, the image of the Nazi regime, you know, the superior race, all that crap. And, I mean, the whole world's watching. The whole freaking world's watching. The president of the United States, I think it was Roosevelt, calls up Lewis and says, you got to witness for the good guys. I mean, you talk about pressure. And it's in Yankee Stadium outdoors. Oh, and the world's watching. Oh, my goodness. Where is there more pressure? And what does Lewis, how does he respond to it? He destroys him. He annihilates him. He knocks him out in one round. One brutal round. One round of torrential rain. Of brutal force and determination and focus. To the body. To the head. Oh, wow. Yeah, Joe Lewis... Joe Lewis, um, he earned the right from me to call him the greatest heavyweight of all time. Number two, Muhammad Ali, pioneer. Uh, there were pioneers before him. He copied from them, but great ones do that. They're copy and they make it their own. They'll change it a little bit, tweak it a little bit. He copied from different people where a little bit of charisma, showmanship, and flash, and ideas. He grabbed, he grabbed some ideas from the great Jersey Joe Walcott, who used to pick up his trunks a little bit, adjust his trunks, walk a little bit to the side, walk to the other side. You know, Ali took it to another place. He took it to where he made it to shuffle. 
the Alice Shuffle. But he got the ideas from great people like Jersey Joe Walcott, who was, as I said, in his own right, a great fighter. And he even said he got ideas from wrestlers, you know, Gorgeous George, one of the wrestlers back in the day, where he, with his antics and his stuff and, you know, his, his shenanigans, where Ali understood, yeah, it's a sport, but it's a business. It's an entertainment business. I want to entertain. I want to make money. I want to put fannies in the seats. So, but with all of that, he had his own ideas. He took them to another place. He took all those ideas. He made them different. He made them better. Uh, there was a guy named James Corbett, Gentleman Jim Corbett, back in the beginning of the 19th century, who was a heavyweight champ. One of the first guys to use his legs to move around. But it was limited back in those days of how good he could be at it. Ali took it to a whole new level, to a whole new place, to a different stratosphere. Uh, and uses like never before was there a heavyweight, not to mention Ali was all, also a gold medalist for the Olympics, representing the United States, but never before was there a heavyweight who moved as quickly, like a lightweight, quicker than a lightweight, used his legs, used the ring, and had scintillating, extraordinary speed with his hands, his feet, I mean, just move all night long. All night long would move. You know, Customato used to say, listen, before his forced retirement, uh, you know, suspension from the ring for three and a half years because of his refusal to go into the Army during the Vietnam War. Before that, the only time you touched Ali was when the referee made you touch gloves before the beginning of the fight. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I mean... And and that's another part of his greatness. I mean, this was a guy that did things no ever heavyweight ever did. He 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 moved. He threw combinations and, and speed faster than lightweights, featherweights. Didn't throw punches like this. And he broke all the rules, the conventional rules, the the textbook on boxing do's and don'ts. You know, he pulled back. You're not supposed to pull back from punches. You're not supposed to drop your hands. <laughs> he did all that. He made wrong right. How many guys are great enough to make wrong right? He was. He was. I mean, it's, wow. And then what he did outside the ring, transcended what he did inside the ring. How strong he was, how powerful he was outside the ring, what he stood for, the fights outside the ring. So the social, you know, challenges that he he brought about and, change that he brought about uh, all those things and then one other after his suspension for three and a half years he comes back and reinvents himself becomes a whole becomes a whole different Ali a whole different version of himself it's one thing to be great in one part of your life to be great in two parts of your life he came back, his skill won for him the first part of his life, his career, and then he came back and that skill was eroded, it was diminished. It was, it was. He was never the same athlete, never the same fighter. He reinvented himself and now instead of winning with skill, he won with will. He won with will. We didn't know if he had that kind of will really because he had so much skill. You know, he's like the typical version of the golden boy, you know, that's so 
pretty and so good. You you don't know if they're if they earned the right to get your respect because they're so gifted. Like you just think they're lucky. They just have that gift, and you don't know if they have what it takes underneath that you want them to have. That grit, that toughness, that determination, that will. Well, when you found out, Ali had it. He had that too. You know, she's kind of like Sugar Ray Leonard when he was he was the golden boy. You know, the Olympics gold medalist and everything, welterweight, of course, and you know, undefeated. And people didn't appreciate him enough. Some people they didn't really appreciate because he was so skilled. He was so pretty. It was so natural to him, you know, that you figured, ah, gee, but, you know, he doesn't earn the right for us to give him that kind of adulation. You know, he hasn't earned the right. We don't know if he's tough, if he's a fighter. We don't know. Well, you found out in the Durant, you found out in the Durant fight. You found out in the Durant. He lost that fight, but he won. But he won the adulation of and respect of fans that he didn't have before that. And Ali did that. Isn't it funny how fans will look at a guy like a Sugar Ray Leonard, um, Oscar De La Hoya, um, and they'll say, that guy, he's, he's so handsome and so polished outside of the ring and seems to live a charm life that they just assume, yeah, but he's not going to be able to be as tough as, like, you know, pick someone who's like a Mickey Ward. He's not. And they resent him. They resent him because... He- yeah, exactly, and but it's just funny that people will make that assumption because they're handsome. Yeah, they resent him because he's handsome. They resent him because he's so talented, he's so good. They resent him. Yep. And sometimes you got to earn that respect, and exactly in a different way, in a way that you shouldn't have to. But you, but it's 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 the law of the world. Sometimes the law of the jungle, and um, you know, the world can be a jungle, and and sure enough, yeah, sure enough, what happens? Uh, like I said, Leonard learned, he finally earned the love of the people, the the respect to the people losing to Duran. Ali finally earned it losing to Frazier the first time. That they saw him more than just a skilled guy, than a golden boy, than a privileged guy, you know, that was given too much talent. They saw him as more than that. He He earned their respect because he got in there and, he behaved the way he behaved like a fighter. I think of that um, that that description when I think of a guy like Ryan Garcia, who's incredibly handsome, has a bunch of fo- like tons of social media followers, and people discount him almost because he's handsome. I mean, he hasn't been in a lot of wars. He's a young guy, but I think of him like that, and I think that he's going to surprise a lot of people with his toughness because I think from what I've seen, he's tougher than a lot of people give him credit for but it'll be interesting to see how he develops anyway. No, no, I agree. Real quick on that. Not only tougher than people might think, but smarter, more instinctual, more committed, um, more of a fighter. I think he's a fighter. Forget about all the other stuff. Forget all that. Forget all that. It matters to make money and everything. It matters. But what really matters the most, are you a fighter? He's a, he's a fighter. Very similar to the guy, ironically, that promotes him, De La Hoya. Yep. You know, De La Hoya, hate him, love him, whatever. He's he's a little screwed up. He's got some problems. We all do. Um, but uh, one thing, he was a pretty damn good fighter. And uh, gold medalist, world champion in several weight classes. And you know what? 
He was the golden boy. He was he was a matinee idol. He was a crossover where there were many where the girls came to watch him fight. <laughs> they, they, you know, he was like Elvis Presley. He was like Sinatra. I mean, girls came to watch him fight, you know, and um, girls are going to come <laughs> watch Ryan Garcia fight. Oh, they already come. And I, they already are. And um, He sold out that Honda Center against the... Um, I put it this way, I can't even remember who he fought, but it wasn't some it wasn't a big name. And to your point about Oscar, I was at the uh Fantasy Springs fight uh when uh, Andrew Cancio lost to Renee Alvarado and Oscar had his own security people to keep I I am not kidding you. There was a line of twenty to fifty women, women all of all ages in a line down the middle of the um aisle standing there and Oscar was leaning against the um the metal railings the barrier and women young old standing in line to get a selfie with um Oscar De La Hoya it was I've never at all the fights I've been to I've never seen anything like he it he was a matinee idol he was a different guy uh, you know in boxing we don't get that much and I think the funny thing the the connection here is that the guy who promotes my set it already uh, uh the that promotes, you know, De La Hoya that promotes uh, Garcia. I think Garcia is in line to be very similar. Um, yes. Not, not as far as a person. He's his own person. Um, but very similar in a, a lot of the ways that their careers went. And, uh, and also similar in a way when you could be good looking, you could be all that, you could be marketed, but you better be able to fight. Yeah, exactly. You know, at the end of the day, you better be able to fight. And at yep. the end of the day, with all the same similarities that this kid, Ryan Garcia, has, he knows how to fight. That's the key. Yep. That's, it's kind of like that old story, that old fight fan story, that great old story of where uh, there's a club show going on and a priest is there, the neighborhood priest. He's always at the fights tough priest, you know, he's there trying to help the neighborhood and he's there watching the fights and a guy gets in, it's a, you know, Friday night fights, guy gets in the ring, he goes over to a corner, he kneels down, he looks up to the skies and he crosses himself and then he gets up and he goes to his corner and one of the fight fans turns to the priest and says, Father, does that really help? And the priest looks at him you know, this is a fight guy. This is a guy, you know, grizzled, real fight guy, besides being a priest. He looks at him and says, only if you can fight, son. <laughs> That's a good one. Garcia can fight. Hell yeah, he can. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I don't know where we left off with Ali, but um, for all those reasons, a lot of people have him number one, I get it, but... uh. The guy, the guy was a pioneer. The guy, you know, did things his own way, like Sinatra, and that song. I did it my way. Uh, he did it his way, and um, he paid a price for it too. Paid a price for it, but he was willing to pay a price. You know, he was damaged the back end of his life with Parkinson's. There's no hiding it. Nobody loves and tries to protect his sport more than me. But you got to be honest, too, when, you know, it, it was connected to the punches he took in the second half of his career uh, when he no longer had 
the ability to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Uh, you know, where all he had left was, in some ways, was his character. You know, and um, but it was great character, and it allowed him to make great history, and win great fights, even when he wasn't the same athlete anymore. He was special. He was special for all those reasons. Number three, baby. When I opened up, I opened up about, you know, talking about the days where a lot of people don't have information. They don't, our kids, they even in baseball, they should know who Jackie Robinson is. They don't. It's too bad. But at least there's more sources to know in baseball, more outlets, more programs, more places to go, more footage. Boxing, no, not nearly enough. Anyway, number three, Jack Johnson, the great Jack Johnson. Uh, I know it's tough going back to those eras. People say, well, they were prehistoric. They, were, they weren't as sophisticated. They, uh, they weren't as advanced. They were, hey, hey, hey. They were ahead of their time, these special guys. Jack Johnson was a pioneer too, ahead of his time. First black heavyweight champ of all time. And a guy who implemented things that had not been done. He took foot movement. He, a guy's done it before him, but he, he took that and offense and defense. He merged them all together at a level that nobody had up to him. Nobody! You know, there were great ones that did different things, and, but he did it at a better level. He had that kind of ability, that kind of talent and, and mind where he mixed offense and defense. He put combinations together. He had footwork. And he handled pressure. Got to get credit for that. I gave Joe Lewis credit. Handling the toughest stage of any athlete ever in the history of athletics. Fighting a fight against a guy who had knocked him out two years earlier on the verge of World War II when the whole world was watching, when the president was, was begging him, begging Joe Lewis, you can't lose to this German. <laughs> you know and Joe Lewis had the capacity the character to handle that pressure Jack Johnson had it that's special that's a trait that's a gift that's a talent that's an ability just as much as a left hook they can knock you crooked you know I mean he what pressure he handled the pressure of being a black man when People did not want a black man to be heavyweight champ of the world. It was the biggest it was the biggest position in sports in the in the country. Nobody was bigger than a heavyweight champ back in those days. And he was threatened. He was vilified. He was like I said, his life was threatened. He was put in jail. They made they created a they created a law, created a law called the Man Act, just to arrest him, transporting uh, white women across state lines. How, how how terrible is that? How absurd is that? That and he lived through all that and he handled all that, you know, and uh, and was heavyweight champ of the world with all that handling. All that can you imagine? 
You're not just talking about lefts and rights coming at you. You're talking about a lot more than that coming at you. People complain today about the pressures. Please, please learn something about these great people. Please, please take a take a step back before you complain. Please, please educate yourself. But Jack Johnson, number three, number four, The Rock, the Manessa Mala. Rocky Marciano, the only undefeated heavyweight champ, 49-0. Larry Holmes came close to tying it, but Michael Spinks got in the way. Again, smaller heavyweight, 182 pounds, whatever. So what? We, we, we make allowances for the errors. That doesn't matter. We go by what they did during their era, how they did it, who they did it with. He's he's undefeated heavyweight champ, Ken. <laughs> right? Yet. The only one we've ever had. Yet. He's underrated. How's that possible? How's that possible? But he's underrated. How's that possible? Uh, you know, really. Except in the old Italian, you know, uh, you know, houses. He's not underrated there. You know, but, but for the most part, he's underrated. And... They said he didn't fight nobody. He fought fighters when they were too old. Let me tell you something. He beat two of the greatest fighters of all time. Of all time. Ezra Charles and Jersey Joe Walcott. Yeah, they were older. But they were good when they were old. Some guys, that's their prime. Some guys are just, that's when they were good. That's when they were good, when they were older. Archie Moore, yeah, he didn't get a chance. He didn't get treated right. Light heavyweight. He didn't get treated right either. Black man. But... He 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 was oh, 300 fights, 140 knockouts, 35, whatever, 135, whatever it was. Most knockouts in the history of the sport. But uh, a light heavyweight chair, he had to wait until late in his 30s to get a shot at the light heavyweight title. Then he kept it for a long time. But this is a guy, you know, but he was good at that age. I mean, you know, he was... He was good, Archie Moore, at that age. Well, Jersey Joe Walcott and Ezra Charles, they were really good at that age. And Marciano beat him. And Marciano was losing in a 15-round fight. He was losing when he fought for the title against the great Jersey Joe Walcott. Losing. Jersey Joe Walcott, one of the great punches of all time, too. Everyone's always talking about they only throw the names up like greatest punches. Tyson, okay. Um, Foreman, yes. Uh... You know, Wilder, yes. Uh, Joe Lewis, yes. Ernie Chavis, yes. But they don't mention Jersey Joe Walcott. Great, great puncher. Great fighter. And Marciano's behind going into the 13th round. He can't win except by knockout. He, he could punch. He was a great puncher. Great shin. Great condition. Great determination. Like all the great ones have to have. But he had a trick up his sleeve. He had a mechanism, a device, like Kush used to tell me, where when it got to those desperate times, he could call on it and find a way, find a way to win, find a way to land that punch. What good is that power if you don't know how to land it? What good is it if you can't land it against a good fighter? He found a way in the 13th round. He didn't just land a lucky punch. Susie Q, the right hand they used to call the Susie Q. But he... 
He found a way. He started the left hand. You know, he started the left hand. Got the eyes of Walcott, the great Walcott, to look that way. Just to distract him, just to pull his eyes into the wrong place. Got his hand. Bang! It's that picture's up on the bar, up in the, you know, up, up on uh, many, many pubs, many bars across the country uh, you go into, you see that picture of that right hand landing on Jersey Joe Walcott. And if you look close, you see all you need to see. You don't see this, but you see the right hand landing, but you see Walcott just started to throw the left hook because he thought, because of what he saw, that he was the one who was going to time Marciano. He didn't know that he got set up. That's beautiful. That's poetry. That that's 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 oh, that's listening for me. That's Louis Armstrong playing the trumpet. You know, it, it really is. It's beautiful. And uh, so, Marciano. Yeah, I know that he fought some soft guys on the way up. He might have fought his brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fighting a soft guy on the way up is like a theme of all fighters these days. Everyone fighting a is, brother could be rough. Yeah, no kidding. That could be tough, too. That could be uh, real tough. You know about that. <laughs> so, uh, listen, everyone's got those soft touches on their record coming up. Everyone. But uh, but where do you get to and what do you become to, during the course of your career? And who do you wind up beating? when you have to beat the good ones, the great ones. And he beat two of the greatest. So Rocky Marciano, number four, baby. All right, you ready for number five? Yep. Okay, this ain't going to be on a lot of people's list. It's on my list. That's all <laughs> I care about. <laughs> That's all you care about too, right, Ken? That's right. Thank you. Gene Tunney. Gene Tunney. I'm not sure the exact record Robert get it because they had newspaper decisions sometimes back then, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it was eighty four one I'm gonna say it was something like eighty four one in some draws. What did you say, Rob? Sixty five one and one. Yeah. Yeah, sixty five one and one. That's not bad. But but he he had more wins than that, I guarantee you. He had some that are not posted, that are not recorded. They used to have what they call newspaper decisions where uh, in some places in the country, boxing was not uh, legal. Uh, so they would fight without a decision. And the next day, the newspaper would, would decide, the writers would decide who the winner was. Uh, so, but I believe he was on one accounting, something like 84, one, and maybe four draws. But whatever it was, damn good record, great fighter, um, also a pioneer of sorts. He used his legs. We had guys, like I said, gentlemen, Jim Corbett, you know, uh, of course, used his legs. And and then you had the great Jack Johnson, who used him not to move like Ali, but just to do little steps here and there and change distance in a different way, in a different way, uh, but in a great way. Tony used his legs. And he's an ex-Marine. He, he was a different cat. You know, he was a heavyweight champ. You know, you're supposed to have that nose like this, like mine a little bit, you know. 
and all that. And he, no, he was different. You're supposed to be a guy that came from the school of hard knocks. Yeah, all that. And, and you know, maybe you couldn't put together enough words, which is insulting because these guys were smart. These guys in their own right were intelligent and geniuses in many accounts to be champions. They were. They really were. Yeah. But this is a guy who read books during camp. People were like, what? What? Heavyweight champ reading books? Come on. Come on. Come on. And I'm talking about books like without a lot of pictures in them. You know what I mean? <laughs> War and Peace. <laughs> like thick. I mean, yeah. really. I mean, like, you know, tough. So this is a guy that had a record loss, one fight, 80 and one, whatever you want to, whatever it was, fought during an era when everyone fought, when there was so many great fighters uh, and everybody was fighting everybody. And his only loss to one of the greatest fighters of all time, Ken, the great Harry Greb, who had about 300 fights, middleweight champ. The great, because Tony was only a middleweight, and then he moved up to heavyweight, you know, about 180-some pounds uh, back in those days. Same thing, as I said earlier. And here, here is, you know, here's a guy in, in Tony that... His only loss is to the great Harry Greb. Unbelievable. The Pittsburgh windmill. I mean. And it was a decision, too. So it could have been subjective. And then he beat him twice after that. <laughs> and had a draw with him, I believe. So, I mean, it was a lesson for him because Greb was so tough. Greb beat him the first time. and then, But he corrected what he had to correct. He got tough for mentally. He did everything that Wilder's going to have to do if he's going to beat Fury. Okay? Well, there it is for you. There it is for you. And he faced what he had to face. Looked himself in the mirror and said, I won't be out tough the next time. I won't be out punched the next time. I will take control of this in my environment. And I will be tough enough to do that the smart way. The smart way. That's tough. That's real toughness. And he, he, uh, you know, again, Tony, ex-Marine, read books in camp, uh, was involved in the first million dollar gate with Jack Dempsey, the great Jack Dempsey, you know, uh, who a lot of people are going to say, you know, how do you not have him on your list? You know, they're going to get mad at me. But if we went to six, he would have been right there, number six. You can't put them all there. But he would have been number six. He was great. But Tony beat him. Tony beat you to be on this list. You got to have beaten a great fighter, I think. He beat the great Jack Dempsey. He beat the great Harry Greb. He beat Dempsey twice, and the first million dollar fight was one of those fights. And he won a controversial fight called the Long Count, where the Marcus of Queensbury rules were first inserted. You know, in this fight, uh, and with Dempsey and where I think it was in the rematch obviously uh, Rob verify that for me that uh, Marcus agreed the long count fight was the second fight with Dempsey and anyway before the Marcus of Queensberry rules my friends across the pond thank you guys before that you could stand over your opponent when you knocked him down Ken and when he got a knee off the ground bang you hit him again yeah yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, it was, it was old school. Tough. Those are like sounds yeah. like early days of UFC. Yeah, yeah, very much. That's where UFC learned it. That's where they got the <laughs> ideas. You know, Dana White's older than you think. He's, he's older. He, he looks good for his for two hundred and twenty. So <laughs> they, he, yeah, I was right. It was the second fight. It was the rematch. So in the rematch, he had beaten him the first time decision. Now a year later, Tony fights. The great Jack Dempsey, the great puncher, the great finisher, the Manasseh uh, Mola. And um, I just realized that. Did I call? Who did I call? The- <laughs> you called Marciano that, but you were on such a roll. I was just. Yeah, I'm like- sorry. That's Jack Dempsey. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Brockton, the Brockton Buster. The Brockton, what was. Uh, Marciano, let's correct it now. I'm glad I caught it. I'm glad I was thinking about it. Uh, oh, I just realized it. The the block the Brockton blockbuster was Marciano from Brockton, Massachusetts, yep. just outside of Boston, your neighborhood, Title Town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was him. He was not the Manasseh Mauler. Jack Dempsey was the Manasseh Mauler, the great Jack Dempsey. So anyway, he fights he fights Dempsey in a rematch, and the new rules are in place. Monkers of Queensbury. Now you knock a guy down. The rules that still stand all the way later today. You have to go to a neutral corner where the referee gives an eight count, and then you come back out and continue fighting. So what happens? The great Jack Dempsey shows his greatness in the rematch. He catches him with that great left hook, short one, and he drops. Jack. He drops Tony, and Tony goes down, and. Instead of going right to a neutral corner, he stands over him. Probably for two, three, four seconds possibly. Maybe, maybe. And he stands over him, and it takes a little time for the referee now to force him to a neutral corner because Dempsey doesn't realize the new rules. He, he's used to fighting under the old rules. So by the time they get him to a neutral corner, a few seconds have transpired. Tony's got a little more time to recover. And the count picks up. So the argument is, would Tunney have been able to get up if if the count had been what it should have been if Dempsey had gone to the neutral corner and the referee started counting right away? Would he have beaten the count? Mm-hmm. A lot of controversy. They called it the long count. I watched it. I think he would have beat the count because that's why Tunney's on my list because he found a way. The great ones find a way, Ken. Yep. They find a way. Like you. They find <laughs> I'm a way. Trying. They find a they find they find a way. And um listen, um like I said, if if it was a number six, though those for those people that have their shotguns out ready to, you know, shoot me dead because I don't have Jack Dempsey on there. <laughs> you know, um I uh, we do this show behind plexiglass. You can't see it. But <laughs> it's, it's thick. It's about this thick, you know? So they can't get to me, you know? But, uh, and if I had a number seven, I'll blow people away. I just, and that'll be it. I'll blow people away. I'm sure most people have never heard of this guy. And that's why I'm going to mention him. Uh, Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries, you know, he's not understood enough to get the credit that he deserved because, again, back in that era, um, he's really underrated very much. And his only loss, he's got, he's, he had one loss. And he was like 20 and 1, somewhere 19 and 1, 20, I don't know, whatever it was. But he, his only loss 
was to a guy who's on this list, to the great, great Jack Johnson. And the way he fought Jack Johnson, again, uh, is kind of unfortunate maybe for Jeffries because he was off for five years and then they brought him out of retirement because they didn't want Johnson, a black man, to be heavyweight champ. So they brought the great Jim Jeffries five years out of retirement. Six years. Six Six years. years. Even worse. Six years. They bring him out of retirement to fight the great Jack Johnson. And um, Johnson stops him in how many rounds? What round? Stopped him in the... One second. This is extraordinary, too. Back in those days. Back in those days. And this is a guy coming back, like I said, that many years later. This can't be right. 45 rounds? Yeah, exactly. There you go. 45 rounds. There you go. You got it. I def- I, I would it was a be, different sport I- back there, different men. <laughs> okay? 45 rounds. That's why I'm bringing to light these men that, that the people today don't know. They don't know. They, they should know, but they don't. Maybe now they, enough people hear this program and watch this, they will know. But yeah. Jeffries was 19-0-2 going into that fight with 16 knockouts, and Jack Johnson was 50, fi- 50 wins, 5 losses, 9 draws. Yeah, I mean, so I put Jeffries because of that. Uh, a little bit of an education for some people that don't know about some of these great men, these great fighters. Maybe you know a little more. You do know a little more, I hope. Uh and maybe you search out a little more now, too. But, yeah, his only loss was to, as I said, the great Jack Johnson, who I have number three of all time. It may have been 15 rounds, but a scheduled 45-rounder. It says heavy contest, 45 rounds, and then it says Johnson won TKO round 15. So either he won in 15 or 45, but... Even that they have 45 listed sounds crazy. Yeah, well, it was, uh, then maybe that's what it was. But, I mean, uh, yeah. many of the fights went 40 rounds back in those days, 30 rounds, <laughs> 25 <laughs> rounds. so crazy. You know, I don't know what the record was, but, uh, you know, some of the fights were fights to the finish, that they were just fighting to a guy couldn't couldn't go on. So maybe, I, I don't know how many that went, but it was scheduled for, like you said, 45. I'm not sure exactly how many went. Maybe Rob will verify it, but it might have th- went 15. I think it went 15. I think he no, I think he got the TKO in the 15th round, but just the fact that it was scheduled for 45 yeah. sounds crazy. And listen, you go 15 rounds with the great Jack Johnson after being away six years, you know, it's, it's, it's not too bad. Almost exactly six years he was off, almost to the day. Yeah, I mean... There was also different rules uh, back in those days, so we educate the people a little bit so they they understand it, you know, in a proper way that some of these guys, they might go 45 rounds, but every time somebody got dropped, the round would end. I gotcha. So, so, you know, it makes a little difference. So if you got dropped, you know, in like, say, 20 seconds into the round, bang, the round's over, you go to the next round. And, and that's why back in those days, the... I'm not saying this is where the saying came from, but you had to bring your lunch because you're going out there, you know, usually on a field somewhere where a, a, a ring was put and stands were, you know, 
in some cases, were constructed. You go out there and all the people come out and see the fight. And uh, these guys were something. They had to have to weigh in before the fight sometimes and make the weight and then go out there and fight. And they go out there and they sometimes would bring, they only knew what they knew about nutrition back then, which was, you know, very little compared to what we know today. So they would bring maybe a, a box of oranges, a crate of oranges, you know, uh, to give themselves sugar to subsidence, energy, whatever. And they bring it out there to the to the field, to the ring. And this leads me into an opportunity to tell a great story. Uh, I, I think I know I, where you're going with yeah, this. I, one of my favorite stories. Yeah, I might have told it before, but I think it's worth telling again. Listen, like all legendary stories, you don't know the exact accuracy of it, but I love the story, okay? I do too. I, I love the story, and I love the man that it's about. Uh, again, it's about one of my favorites that people don't know this guy, the great Sam Langford. It's a shame. But, you know, you can learn about him now. You could Google him. You could look it up. And Robert puts some up. Wait till Rob puts up his record. You're going to, you better be sitting. You better be sitting. <laughs> he fought from lightweight to heavyweight. He fought close to 300 fights, whatever. And uh, he was the great Sam Langford, okay? The great Sam Langford. And he was fighting a fighter. And, you know, a, a fighter who was a real good fighter. A lot of good fighters back then. And they were getting ready to go out to the ring after the weigh-in. And it was scheduled for 40 rounds, I think. You know, a mere 40. You know, it was a, it was a preliminary, <laughs> short one. You know, it was a 40-rounder. And so they're going out, Ken, and they're walking out. And the other fighter, sees, he's got a crate of oranges, you know. And he's going out there, and that's that's... The other fighter has a crate of oranges. He looks at the great Sam Langford, who is already nervous because he's fighting Sam Langford anyway, you know. And he looks at him, and Sam's carrying in his in his hands no no crate. He's carrying in his hands five oranges, just five. <laughs> so the fighter's nervous. He looks at Sam, the great Sam Langford, and he says, "You miscounted, Sam." You only got five. Sam Langford looks at him and says, only going to need five. <laughs> it's the best. He goes out there and knocks him out in five rounds. <laughs> Again, I don't, do I know, do I know for sure? All I know is it's enough for me. It's enough for me. Yeah, you know, uh, Sam Langford knocked out plenty of guys, over a hundred knockouts in his career, I believe. And uh, he was, he was a great, great, great fighter that it's almost a tragedy to a certain extent. I know there's very important things in his life. I know, I know, nobody has to tell me. But it's almost a tragedy that more of our people, kids, people, don't know about people like Sam Langford. Their battles, their trials, their tribulations, what, what it took to become great, what they went through, who they were, how they became that, what they dealt with. What they had, what they didn't have. Sam Langford, ladies and gentlemen, the great Sam Langford. And for those who may not know of Sam Langford, his record, just to give you some context, was 178 wins, 29 losses, 38 draws with 126 KOs from the fighting town of Weymouth, Nova Scotia, Canada. 
But all you need to know how tough he is is he eventually ended up residing in uh, Titletown, Boston, Massachusetts, and fought under the name of the Boston Bone Crusher. <laughs> uh, there you go, Ken. You got it in. You're the man. You're the man. Touche. Touche. But um, he was. He might have had more fights than that because, like I said, back in those days, they used to have some places that didn't have uh decisions because the sport wasn't recognized so they would go to newspaper decisions where as i said the newspaper writers the next day would put the winner who they said was the winner uh in the newspaper yeah. and those were not those are not calculated into their records a lot of times yeah well, I'll be curious to hear the feedback from the fans on social media. I'm sure there'll be a lot of opinions here. And um, to be honest with you, we love hearing the opinions. That's a, a, We love a healthy back and forth and a healthy debate, which 99% of the people who comment on our stuff, it's all good, good spirited, good natured, um, fun. We appreciate them. Yeah, it really is. And 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 to be honest, I I look forward to reading the comments, even when they disagree with us. It's it's interesting to listen to other people's perspectives and take everything into consideration. But um, this was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And um, hopefully, everyone is enjoys the content while we're in quarantine i know that i get excited when i see new podcasts and new episodes from people that i uh, respect and appreciate and hopefully for a lot of people we're falling into that category and um but on behalf of everyone else teddy i just want to say thanks again for all the time thanks for sharing all the knowledge and wisdom i know i appreciate it and i'm pretty sure the majority of our fans really appreciate it as well so thank you very thank much thank you and thank you to the fans I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Thank you. We'll be back soon, hopefully with some live action. Take care. Oh,